Amen. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. I'm going to actually have you stand back up and greet someone around you, and we'll get going in just a second. It is, in fact, Resurrection Sunday. We're here to celebrate a risen, a risen Christ. And the fact that we will participate in that resurrection if we are in Christ. So this morning is a call to worship. I'm going to read from Psalm 98. Psalm 98. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known His salvation. He has revealed His righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered His steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel and to the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with a lyre, with a lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Lord Jesus, we come together this morning to worship you. God, we recognize that the tomb is empty. We're here and we observe it. God, we know that that death took you on Friday, but could not hold you. And on Sunday, you came back triumphing over sin and death so that we as your people might participate, maybe be right with our Heavenly Father. God, what a blessing it is to gather together as your people to sing your praises. This morning, may our joy be evident to all. And even as we go from this place, may our joy continue to be evident to Jamestown, North Dakota. God, we join together with people all over the globe this morning that are also observing an empty tomb. God, we praise you that your people have been set apart for your purposes. God, may we now honor you in our worship. It's in Jesus' name that we pray these things this morning. Amen.
Lord Jesus, we affirm what we just sang. The grave has no claim on us because you went before us. Death has no grip on us because you went before us, the firstborn of the dead. Lord God, so we praise you as we gather together again in song, but now as we go to your word, Lord, may you open it up to us. God, and may we recognize who you are, the word who took on flesh and dwelt among your people in order that we might know our Father. God, we thank you that we can go to your word and know you. What a blessing. What a privilege. God, we praise you for who you are and all that you've done for us in Christ Jesus. It's in his name that we pray these things. Amen. We'll go ahead and have a seat. And take your Bible, if you would. And turn with me to Luke chapter 24. Luke 24 is where we're going to be this morning. We're going to be looking at verses 13 through 35. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, you'll find some in front of you. Uh, That's going to be a little bit different translation than the one that I'm going to be reading from. If you'd like to see word for word the translation that I'm reading, there's actually some in the back table back there. The English Standard Version is what I'm going to be reading from this morning. Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, and seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with one another all these things that had happened. When they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood, looking sad. And one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all of this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said. But him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart, to believe that all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him saying strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he 
talked to us on the road while he opened up to us the scriptures. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. We're heading here this morning. This is immediately following the resurrection. We see Luke recording this story. He drops us in on these two men in this conversation that they have with with the risen Christ. Obviously, Jesus is alive. This has been reported to them already, and the ripples of the news is making its way outwards. It's a topic of significant discussion. Jesus meets these men on the road, but they don't recognize him. They tell Jesus what has transpired, but Jesus starts talking. He interprets the scriptures for them, but they still don't recognize him. They still don't understand that they're encountering the risen Christ. The men ask Jesus to stay with them, and when he sits down to eat with them and break bread with them, they immediately recognize who he is. And then, as quickly as they realize who he is, he vanishes. And they ask the question, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? These men encountered the risen Christ, and their eyes were open to what it's all about. It's all about Jesus. The centrality of Jesus. You see, Jesus stands at the center of everything. His resurrection demands His centrality. The final enemy, death, held everyone enslaved. And Jesus, through his resurrection, ended the tyranny of death and became what Paul would say, the firstborn from the dead. And now death is not the end. And so Jesus is actively flipping the script. He's actively flipping the script. When he appears to the two men on the road to Emmaus, he's changing everything. All the thoughts they had about what the end was, all of the sudden are thrown into question. Death was not the end for him. It didn't have to be the end for them either. And their eyes were open to that reality. More and more as they talked with Jesus, their eyes were open to that reality. And so these these two men, as they encounter Jesus, they're on a journey. Yes, they're going seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus, but they're also on a journey of understanding in their minds and ultimately in their hearts. And so in that journey, in this this story that Luke drops us in on, we see three mile markers. Seven miles, but we see three mile markers. Three mile markers that's going on in their hearts and minds as they understand and know that Jesus is alive. So the First mile marker, these are going to be our points this morning. We're just going to walk through this text together. The first point, the first mile marker we see is the interpretation of Scripture. The second mile marker we see is intimacy around the table. And the third mile marker is affection in the heart. Affection in the heart. 
And so the first mile marker, Resurrection Sunday, the first mile marker we see in the interpretation of, of Scripture. Note, as the men unpack, right, they give Jesus the story, and Luke records how they tell Jesus what has transpired in Jerusalem over the last few days. And they unpack the recent happenings for, for Jesus. But look at what he says in verse 25. Jesus is a response to what they say. He says, oh foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and to enter into his glory? The problem these men have is ultimately in their heart. Jesus says it, oh slow of heart. Oh slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. But then what does Jesus do? This is interesting. This is, this is interesting. Jesus doesn't then aim at the heart, but he aims at the head. He unpacks for them. He sa- it says, and he beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning who? Concerning himself. And so he aims at their head. And now these men who are obviously not unfamiliar with Jesus, verse 16 says that they didn't recognize him, which leads us to believe that they didn't, what Jesus did look like because they spent time with or around him. They knew who he, who he was, who Jesus was, and yet they didn't recognize him in this moment. And so these guys knew the things that Jesus had done throughout his life, the healing, the casting out of demons, the miracles, the teaching. They were certainly well acquainted with all of it. Their words lend itself to that truth. But there was so much more that they didn't understand. There was so much more here that they didn't understand. And Jesus interprets the Scriptures for these men. He interprets the Scriptures for the first time in light of Himself. What stands at the center of Jesus' interpretation? Jesus Himself. And so Jesus engages the mind of these two men, not for the sake of giving them information, not information for information's sake, but so that their love for him would grow. Paul Bloom is the Brooks and Suzanne Reagan Professor of Psychology and Cognitive Science at Yale University. Bloom gave a TED Talk in July of 2011 entitled The Origins of Pleasure. Essentially, how does, your, how does your love for something grow? In that talk, Bloom says, people ask me, how do you get more pleasure out of life? How do you enjoy life more? How do you get pleasure out of life? Bloom says, and my answer is extremely pedantic, study more. The key to enjoying Wine isn't just to guzzle a lot of expensive wine. It's to learn about wine. It may be a crude example, but the key to enjoying Jesus more is to learning more about Jesus. And so Jesus, for these two men, unpacks who he is in light of all of Scripture. And the Scriptures are interpreted through him. Jesus knew this to be the case. He didn't tell these two men, just love me. He didn't 
tell them, just enjoy me. I'm here now. He simply told them who he was in relation to the scriptures. At this point in the story, they didn't even know who he was. Jen Wilkins says it like this. If we want to feel deeply about God, we must learn to think deeply about God. Jesus' invitation was to feel deeply about God, to feel deeply about Him. But mile marker number one comes before mile marker number two and three. And so they had to think deeply along the road to feeling deeply. The application for us is simple. In order to feel love for God, you must know Him through His Word. Christianity that seeks to feel without thinking ignores 25% of the summary of the law in Luke 10.27. The lawyer comes to Jesus, and he asks him how he might inherit eternal life. And Jesus says to him, what does the law say? How do you interpret it? And the lawyer says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Heart, soul, strength, mind. And the mind that does not know Jesus cannot love him. So Jesus begins by interpreting Scripture, the risen Christ. Now the road to Emmaus, these two men encounter him, and he interprets Scripture for them. But note what happens next. Mile marker number two, intimacy around the table. Intimacy around the table. Jesus is going to keep walking. So as they drew near to the village to which they were going, he acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So Jesus comes in, and he breaks bread and blesses it. And at this point is where the men recognize that it's Jesus. They, they see him for the first time. Now, we don't know what Jesus said when he blessed the, 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 the bread and broke it. We don't know what he said, and we don't know any of the conversation leading up to these men recognizing Jesus outside of them unpacking what had happened and Jesus calling them foolish and slow of heart. But eating together in the ancient world is a symbol of intimacy. And this is, this is what we learn here. We learn that there's intimacy that's happening around the table. There's intimacy, and in that moment of intimacy, Their eyes are open and they recognize that this is Jesus. He's alive. He's sitting with them now. The religious leadership was always so critical of Jesus for eating with tax collectors and sinners because eating together was an act of acceptance. It was an act of intimacy. These people who were eating with him were social outcasts. Think about it, the people that we eat with most often, we sit down for a meal, they're family members, those with whom we are most closely tied. If you have lunch plans today, it's probably with family members. The reality, though, is we see this played out. The eyes of these two men open to who Jesus is. But the, the reality is, and unfortunately, our culture has made, it, made eating a necessary evil. On any given day, we may not eat breakfast or lunch. 
Our connectedness means that our phone usually rings when we get an important text during dinner time. We run kids from here to there doing this or that, throwing some fast food at them along the way. And because this is the fact in our culture, we rarely invite people around our own tables because of the additional commitment it causes or that we at least perceive it takes. We're convinced that our house needs to be perfect in order to invite someone in because God forbid that we appear to be limited creatures or our house hasn't been cleaned in a few days. We communicate that we'd rather keep an image of perfection or at least near perfection than connect at the level of the heart with others. And so hospitality in Christian circles becomes synonymous with entertainment. Because our culture seeks entertainment more than human intimacy. Rosaria Butterfield in her book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, writes, Hospitality shares what there is, that's all. It's not entertainment, it's not supposed to be. So what is the best thing that we can offer others? We see it here pictured. A listening ear, a compassionate heart, rest in the midst of a difficult week. The food at the table offers a wonderful catalyst for these things to happen, but should not be the focus. The focus of this event is not the bread that was broken. The focus of this event was that they recognized it was Jesus. And this is all application in a sense. Let me give you two direct thoughts related to this. Because you're going to go and eat with people afterwards. First. If someone invites you into their home for a meal, acknowledge the gospel pictured. Acknowledge the gospel pictured. Usually when people accept a dinner invitation, the first question they ask is, what can we bring? What can we bring? And while that that question is usually born out of gratitude and an expression of, uh, of attempting to be kind and to take some pressure off of the host, I think it also sometimes communicates something about what we believe about what is actually happening when we eat together. The invitation to eat together is a picture of the gospel. The invitation into the family of God, into intimacy with God of the universe requires us to bring nothing. It is a free gift of grace given to all who believe. So God is the host. The welcome we experience from him came at the expense of his son, Jesus sacrificed in order that we might be sons and daughters of God. Is it not foolish then to ask, if that is true, is it not then foolish to ask, what can I bring? Is there a good work? Is there some percentage of moral excellency or behavior that I can engage in that will be helpful? What about a salad or dessert? Our tables should reflect the gospel aimed at the heart not just the stomach. See, when the, the men here sit down and eat with Jesus, he, they invite them into their midst, and yet what's really happening is Jesus has invited them into, their, into his. Jesus has invited them to be part of the family of God. When they see the resur- resurrected Christ, they now understand that they will sit around the table at the marriage feast of the Lamb and celebrate for all of eternity the one that stood before them that that day. 
Our tables should reflect the grace of the gospel. Again, Rosaria Butterfield says, Christian hospitality is not for sale. It cannot be made into a commodity. The gospel is free. And so if you invite someone over into your home for a meal, don't think it's an exchange. If you're invited into someone's home for a meal, gladly accept. Jesus paid the whole price. And now you're welcomed into the family of God. Your guilt has been dealt with. So I think the thing that I would say to sum that first thought up is shut up and show up. Because that's simple to remember, even as crude as it is. The second thing I would say then, in much many fewer words, eating together requires presence and not perfection. Presence and not perfection. Not every inch of the house needs to be perfectly clean. Put the cell phone down. Engage the heart. It's what Jesus does here when he breaks bread with these men. He engages their hearts and their eyes are open the realization that the risen Christ was before them. The food acted as a catalyst for the intimacy, not the focal point. So we're going to move to mile marker three, but before we do, consider what was around the table, that these men recognized that it was Jesus. How did they not recognize him earlier? I think that Jesus didn't want them to see who it was, who he was. I think also that Jesus allowed them to recognize him around the table. The intimacy of breaking bread, the intimacy of the table reveals who we are. In a social media age where I know a lot of people through a curated facts and pictures and posts, really knowing someone comes through sitting face to face, eating together. The final mile marker then, mile marker three, and this is the destination of the text affection in the heart. So Jesus aims at the head, interprets scripture for them, experience intimacy with them around the table, and then their hearts are affected. Once Jesus reveals himself to these two men, the text says he vanished from their sight. And the men immediately turn to one another and say, what do they say? Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened the scriptures to us? They were deeply and profoundly affected. Did not their hearts burn within them? They knew something was different. And the information they received as Jesus interpreted the scripture for them stirred their hearts. They were affected. And when they realized that it was Jesus, they knew why. This is the risen Christ. He is alive. He defeated death and it stands at the center of all things. With That understanding, could you be anything other than deeply and profoundly affected? Jonathan Edwards writes, No light in the understanding is good, which does not produce holy affection in the heart. No habit or principle in the heart is good, which has no such exercise, and no external fruit is good, which does not proceed from such exercises. We don't see these men. Jesus opened the scriptures to them, interpret them, and place himself at the center of all things, and then it's revealed to them that this is Jesus, and then they say, okay, cool. Whatever, moving on. They say, did not our hearts burn within us? They were deeply and profoundly affected. What Edwards is saying 
is what we find in this text. We come to an understanding of who Jesus is through God's word. We must experience intimacy with him through the same means and our affections, our love is redirected off temporary fleeting pleasures and on to him. And then there is fruit. There is a result. These men then go to the eleven who are proclaiming the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And then they make known their own witness. They told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. The resurrection means that all of us in this room may know King Jesus and grow in our relationship with him and love him more than anything this world has to offer. So, as our time draws to a close this morning, as we're preparing to go out from this place, consider these things in conclusion. Each of us, friends, each of us in this room is slow of heart. We're slow to believe what stands before us this morning. The risen Christ stands before us this morning, the King of the universe, and we choose, we actively choose small, insignificant, temporary things. We need our affections. We need to grow in our understanding of who Jesus is, and then we need our affections to be stirred. We need to sit down and bathe in God's Word. And then say, in response, did our, not our hearts burn within us? We need our affections and our loves to be redirected. King David writes, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy at your right hand, our pleasures forevermore. The travelers on the road to Emmaus had the path of life revealed to them. Jesus, risen from the dead, the king stood before them and told them how all of human history was about him. And how he could say in Revelation 21.5, Behold, I am making all things new. He ate with them, and their hearts burned within them, and suddenly nothing was more important. Nothing was more important than it drove them to proclamation. Fullness of joy had come, and soon Jesus would ascend to the right hand of the Father, giving complete meaning to what King David writes, At, the, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Practically speaking, Practically speaking, since we are slow of heart, slow down. Slow down with Jesus and slow down with others. With Jesus, the bread of life, slow down in His Word. Make it a daily habit. Grow in intimacy with the King. And with others around the table, take aim at the heart through hospitality. Build intimacy. Picture the gospel through welcoming others into family. We are slow of heart. Since we are slow of heart, slow down. Finally, friends, this Resurrection Sunday, we have to ask ourselves the question, are we seeking joy? Every one of us in our culture and our context is seeking joy in something. We want to be happy. We want to be happy. But I'm 
posit before you this morning that a lot of us are really bad. Even though we've made happiness really important in our lives, we're really bad at finding it. We're really bad at looking. Maybe you found joy in temporarily in something here or there on earth. And maybe you're wondering if there's anything that can bring you something more than fleeting joy because as soon as you latch on to something, it, it escapes you. It slips through your fingers. And maybe you've experienced a great hardship or a disappointment or suffering. Will you ever know joy again? Maybe you're seeking pleasure in food, drink, sex. They have all left you empty. Work and your marriage, your family, they've all let you down. What we celebrate on Resurrection Sunday is for you. It's for you. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. He is risen. And after he appeared to these men on the road to Emmaus and to many others, he ascended into heaven at the Father's right hand. Do you want lasting joy? Go to where Joy can never be removed. If you want to experience pleasure or love, seek Jesus. Friends, seek Jesus this morning. His word before us. Engage your mind. Study. Know the God of the universe. Know King Jesus through His word. And recognize and realize and Know Him truly. It is then with the men alongside them, with these men in the road to Emmaus, we would say, we will say, did not our hearts burn within us? Seek Jesus. He is at the right hand of the Father where there are pleasures forevermore. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you and we praise you that you are in fact seated at the Father's right hand. And we praise you also that you defeated death, that there is nothing that will now hold us or nothing that will separate us from the love of God because of the work that you performed on our behalf. God, may we now as your people, as we go from this place, live into that truth. May we practice the reality of the resurrection in our daily life. Remembering the sacrifice of Jesus, yes, absolutely, but remembering that the tomb is empty and what that means for us is life everlasting. God, what a pleasure. What a joy. God, may we love you more through your word as we go from here. It's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen.
Jesus, we praise you that you are in fact alive. God, and you are seated at the Father's right hand. God, may we seek you there, where there are pleasures forevermore. God, may we go from this place as those who are headed into a world of darkness. May we come go out of this place as a great light to the world. God, we praise you. May we proclaim your excellencies to all those, calling them out of darkness into marvelous light. God, what a pleasure, what a joy. God, we thank you. We thank you that death is no more, that it's been defeated, that we will one day be raised and spend eternity in your presence. And we praise you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray these things this morning. Amen. Thank you so much for worshiping with us this morning. For good measure, he is risen. Before you head out, just a couple of announcements. We don't take an offering during the corporate worship gathering on Sunday, but there is a basket in the back. Go ahead and drop offerings back there. Uh, just to make you aware of a couple other things. We meet in community throughout the course of the week. If this is your first time you're visiting with us, you live here in Jamestown, we meet in community groups throughout the course of the week to discuss the sermon, to spend time together praying for one another, encouraging one another. If you'd like to get connected in that, would you come talk to me? I'd love to point you in the direction of, of, one, of those, one of those groups. Just a couple dates to keep in mind. This upcoming Wednesday, uh, there's going to be a baking evening. We want to say thank you to the Civic Center. Obviously, Buffalo City Church family, we're worshiping in this space. This is different. Uh, this is new for us, but we worshiped in the Exchequer Room in the Civic Center for three years. We want to say thank you to them. So there's a baking evening happening at what time? 6 p.m. on Wednesday. It's happening at Emma's Kitchen. Um, if you can help with that, would you come speak with my wife? She's up here. Uh, we, we need a few more hands to, to make that go. Those things are going to be delivered as well as lunch to the Civic Center staff on Thursday just as a way of saying thank you. May 4th is our marriage workshop. We're going to meet here. We're going to meet upstairs. Um, if you'd like to sign up for that, come talk to me. Otherwise, there's also a sign up online, a little bit of a description on the website. Go there as well. That's all I'm going to say this morning. Thank you so much again for worshiping with us. Go in grace this week.